about you I just had a birthday and that kind of scares me a little bit but you know what whenever I feel afraid I turn to the scriptures Psalm 56 says when I am afraid I put my trust in you in God whose word I praise in God I trust I shall not be afraid what can flesh do to me is so sweet to trust in Jesus, isn't it? Amen? Let's raise our voices and worship to this next song. Tis so sweet, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to
come before the Lord together in prayer this morning. Great is your faithfulness, oh God. You are faithful, you are constant, you are steady. You are the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And because of that, as we have sung today, we can trust in you. We can put our full assurance for the things we're facing today and the things we'll face tomorrow. We can lay them in your hands. Father, I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for the hearts and stories represented. You know each one perfectly inside and out. You know what we need. You know where we are struggling. You know where we are failing, where we are weary, where we are grieving. So Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are here And we ask that you would make us even more aware of your presence with us today as you open our eyes so that we can see you. Open our ears that we might hear you. Open our hearts, make us tender and receptive to you. This time is for you and it's for your glory. It's all in Christ's perfect and matchless name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, you guys get to see this awesome team up here week in and week out. You don't get to see, but you know they're there, the other half of our team who serves in the booth. And so we wanted this morning just to show you a little bit more about what is going on in the worship ministry here at Springbrook. So let's take a look. I like to participate in the worship team because it gives me an opportunity to be with a group of creative people who are meeting for the sheer purpose of trying to inspire and encourage other people to come to church. I am so excited about what the Lord has been doing in this worship ministry over the last few years. We have seen new people being drawn in. There's no way to to manufacture that, this work of the Holy Spirit that's going on in our church and in this community. Currently, I'm serving on the production team as a producer and team lead for the sound technicians. I remember the circumstances that led me to my first serve. My wife and I joined a small group where we were encouraged to take the spiritual gifts class. After finishing, I remember Pastor Rich asking me if I felt drawn to any particular area. Well, when I told him that I would like to try out for the sound team, he lit up. And he jumped at me saying, we've been praying for help in this area. That's when I knew the Holy Spirit was working on me from the moment I started attending Springbrook. It is really important to me, and I make a big deal about saying that we are one worship team. We are not the worship team who's on the platform and then the tech team in the booth. We are one team. It's a lot different (laughs) to be on the stage than it is to be In the congregation, I play the keyboard. It's a very dynamic experience. The people in the booth, nobody sees them, but I know what's happening. I mean, we're completely dependent upon what they do. We didn't have the lights on and the sound balanced and mixed well. Um, People wouldn't be able to participate. They wouldn't be brought into the moment of encounter in the same way. I want to encourage anyone who feels drawn to production, whether it's the soundboard, cameras, multimedia, 
As complex as some of this equipment can seem, you can learn it and it's fun. And it's exciting because something unanticipated always happens. So it's never boring, it's never dull. It's always really, really fun. The presence of the Holy Spirit when we're playing, undeniable. I am so amazed I get to worship on a team serving the God of our universe, praising the Lord Jesus Christ. I think a lot of times people feel like they have to have it together as a Christian in order to be serving in the church, to be especially standing on the platform. But if you're looking to the Lord, if he is leading you, then you are equipped to be leading other people as well. So many of our team members will say, I'm, I'm here because my church needed me. That's what excites me about being a part of this, this family is that, that willingness to lay self aside and come and bring um, what the Lord has gifted you with and pouring that back out in service to his church and to, to his people. Yeah, can we give it up for our worship team? Man, I don't know if I have the words to actually say how much I love this team. Um, we've got about 50 people and growing on our team between those on the platform, those who serve in the booth, and it is an incredible, incredible community to be a part of. Um, and so we want to invite you to be a part of it as well, to be a part of what the Lord is doing in this ministry. So if you have a musical gift, if you have been thinking about it for a while, sitting on it, wondering if this was something that you could possibly take part in, the answer is yes. <laughs> and you should. We're having auditions coming up this Saturday. So if you are available this weekend, go ahead and go to the link and sign up for that. If you are not available this weekend, please don't let that discourage you. I am happy to set up another time to meet with you if you are interested in finding out just exploring the possibility. Maybe your gifts are perfectly suited to be a part of this team. Um, and also, if you're interested in serving on the production side of worship, contact me as well. We are always looking to continue to train and invest in people for that team. So I want to also just welcome you this morning. If this is your first time with us or your first time back in a long time, Thank you for being here. You have a connection card on the end of each row in the room, and there's also a link online where you can fill out the online connection card. This just helps us get to know you. We're not going to spam you with a bunch of mail and emails, but we want to be able to connect you to other parts of ministry in the church. Church goes a lot farther than just this hour and a half on Sunday mornings, right? There are opportunities all over the place, and we want to be able to connect you to people who can be encouraging you, uplifting you, and pouring into you. Um, so fill out that connection card. If you have any questions, that's a great place to put them. Um, otherwise, you can always find one of us after the service, but there is a basket in the back of the room. You can drop those as you leave. Um, also, we have a spiritual gifts class coming up. So we believe firmly, and the Bible teaches us that every Christian man and woman has a spiritual gift, and it's just a matter of discovering what those gifts are. So we're offering a class. It's starting on Wednesday night, um, August 17th, so this coming Wednesday. If you are interested in signing up for that, go ahead and go to springbrook.org slash gifts. There is still time to get involved in that. Well, today, also, for Kids City, we're celebrating our back-to-school bash. Can you believe we're going back to school already? Is anyone like, hey, where did my summer go? Um, here we are. We're going back to school. We're celebrating with our kids this week, and we're also so excited to celebrate that we're going back to full child care and Kids City available for both 
services 9 and 11 starting on September 11th. So if 9 o'clock is your preferred service and you've got kids, we're going to have all of our care fully opened up again for the first time in a very long time. We are so grateful to those of you who have stepped up because it requires so many people, so many people to pour into our children and to make sure that we have who we need to support that ministry. Um, What Michelle and Pri are doing is marvelous with our children. So thank you for those who have stepped up. We're excited to go back to both services here coming up in just a few weeks. Well, Pastor Tim is getting ready to come back out as we continue in our series through Abraham. Let's continue in worship together through the preaching of the word this morning. I don't think I've ever met anyone who likes to wait. We live in a world, we live in a culture where we are encouraged to impatience. If we feel like we have to wait for something for too long, then we uh, uh, give up or we try to find a, a different option uh, we try to make a, a different path for ourselves, uh, whether it be at a, uh, a, at a checkout, at the store, whether it be at a drive through If we see the line at a certain length of time, it's like, oh, I'm not going to go there. I have to wait too long. We don't like waiting. And in fact, so much of, uh, uh, of, of the stuff that we have and that we accumulate in terms of our possessions, is really to, to help us to um, be able to do things more quickly. And so, not only microwaves, but uh, uh, various other kitchen utensils to speed up that process. Whatever job or task we have to do, we like, if at all possible, to do it as quickly and as easily as possible, and if we cannot take the fast track, then we find a different track to take. You know, while we may not particularly like waiting, the reality is that in God's economy, waiting is often a precious tool that he uses in the lives of his people in order to prepare them and bring them to a place of greater depth and of greater joy and of greater fulfillment than they could ever have arrived at if they had rushed into things. And so sometimes we feel like our plans and God's plans kind of come into conflict with one another because we want what we want now. But often God is saying, wait. 
over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking together in the first book of, uh, of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and we've been uh, traveling together through some passages where we have been following something of the life of a man by the name of Abraham and his wife, Sarai. And if you were with us in recent weeks, uh, you'll see that, that Abraham was very much a, a, a person like us. Even though the Scriptures hold him up as being a great hero of the faith, He's a man who frequently found himself coming back to these crossroads of faith and fear. And as we turn to the Scriptures again this morning, if you have a copy with you, I want to invite you to join me today in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Uh, This follows on from the passage that we were in, if you were with us last week. And there we are going to, again, see something of this, this man's life and of his desire to to pursue where God is leading. For we're going to discover together that sometimes we can try to rush ahead of God or take matters into our own hands because we don't like to wait. So here we... Read these words. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Now, uh, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after he had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. What this passage here begins to show us is that when we grow weary of waiting on God, it is easy to try to take matters into our own hands. And so we see this account that Abraham and Sarai have have waited on God for a son. That he had promised to them. And they've waited now for ten long years. And still they remain childless. In fact, it's very interesting. Every time so far in the book of Genesis that we have seen Sarai referred to. Every time we are reminded she was barren. She had no children. She was unable to conceive uh, because uh, the biblical author, as Moses writes this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he wants to remind us of this because it is so central. And if you were here in recent weeks as we've been studying through these previous passages, we've seen that God has promised to Abraham that he will give him a descendant, an heir, a son. And in fact, that through Abraham, that that. Uh, He will have a descendant, and the number of his descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore, that from him will come a great nation, Uh, and that all the nations of the earth will ultimately be, be blessed through Abraham. But the problem is, it's been 10 years since this promise. More, more than that, Abraham at this point is 85 years old. Sarai, his wife, is 75 years old. 
And they've been waiting. They've been waiting for 10 long years. And from everything we can tell, they've been doing their part. And still no child. Where God is the promise. The problem is, this is kind of a crisis. Because you see, everything that God has promised, everything that He has declared to Abraham, is all dependent on this child. All of it. None of the rest of the promise can come about if there is no child. And so, Sarai suggests a workaround. Uh, she proposes that they should take matters into their own hands and help God out, as it were. You ever thought about doing that yourself? It's like, well, you know, God seems to need a little bit of my help here with this. And so Sarai uh, makes this proposal that, uh, that seems kind of strange to us. And I mean, initially, as we read this, we, we, we might even be tempted a little bit to kind of commend them. I mean, most of us, most of us have a hard time waiting 10 minutes for something, let alone 10 years. And, and maybe they're thinking to themselves, well, it's like, um, uh, well, it's been 10 years, so may, maybe we missed something. Maybe we were supposed to figure this out ourselves. Or maybe they're thinking, well, maybe God's forgotten. And, and so we need to do something. Whatever it is, we simply don't know. But Sarai comes to her husband, Abraham. And we don't hardly even need to read the rest of the account to know that this is not going to end well. But she says, so I've been thinking. Abraham, um, I have this Egyptian servant, Hagar. So why don't you just go ahead and sleep with her? Because maybe God will give me a child through her. There's a couple of things that's helpful for us to see here in the passage. The first is that, that Sarah recognizes something that we is testified to all throughout Scripture, and that is that God is the sovereign one. Uh, she says to her husband, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And all through the pages of Scripture, we see that it is God himself who rules and reigns over all things, that all things come to pass according to his will and his power, his counsel, his wisdom. There, there is nothing that, that, that comes to pass apart from God. Uh, that he is the one who opens the womb and the one who closes it. And he has closed Sarai's womb. We also see here in the proposal that she makes, something that may seem really strange to us, but something that actually was not unheard of in uh, ancient times. It was not unheard of that that somebody who was unable to conceive children would, in a sense, take somebody else to, to um, be a surrogate. 
In fact, right here, Sarai even says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And so the idea was, well, she's the servant, and so if she bears a child, then in a sense, when the child is born, uh, we adopt that child. The, the child really becomes mine, and now we have the heir. We also see, even in the pages of Scripture, that at this time, that it was not uncommon, especially for those who are wealthy, to perhaps even take multiple wives for themselves and multiple concubines. One of the things that we need to understand, however, is that while we see that having taken place, that is never approved by God. That God's plan has not changed, that His plan for the sexual relationship has always been and still is within the context of a marriage between one man and one woman for life no exceptions. We see that in Genesis 2.24, and we see that all the way through Scripture. But here, Sarai makes this proposal, let's help God out. Let's take matters into our own hands. Let's not wait anymore. And then says, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, for the original Hebrew readers of this, they would have picked up on something very important. And that is that this phrase, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai, is the same wording as what we find back in Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam instead of listening to the command that God had given, listened to the voice of Eve. And, and, and so what we're supposed to see and to understand here is there's a problem. Now, don't get me wrong, men. I, I'm not saying do not listen to your wives. Okay, don't go home after church and say, Pastor Tim said I don't have to listen. No, that's not what I'm inferring here. But the biblical author wants us to see right up front here that there is a problem. And the problem is that Abraham listened to his wife rather than to God. From everything we can tell, Abraham is the one who has met with God. Abraham is the one who has received the promise. Abraham is the one who has spoken with God face to face. As far as we can tell... Sarai has not. And when it comes to a decision, what we see here, just as with Adam, is we see that Abraham abdicates his spiritual authority in the home and chooses to follow the path that his wife has proposed rather than what God has revealed. And so, after Abraham lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. He went into her, 
and she conceived. So, we're reminded that just like Abraham and Sarai, there are actually many reasons why sometimes you and I attempted to take matters into our own hands rather than wait on God. We see them doing it here. Uh, they are, they're seeking to, to follow. They're seeking to step out into the promise. And when they don't see the way that God is providing for them, or when, when they are tired of waiting, they step out in their own strength and idea. And sometimes we can experience that in our own lives as well. And some of the different reasons that we do that is quite honestly because waiting's hard. Waiting is hard, and sometimes in our lives, we feel like waiting is a time waster. We've got too much to do, God. I don't have time to wait. And so we just run into whatever it is that we think we should do. As I mentioned earlier, we live in a culture which actually encourages us to impatience. And so we're accustomed to this idea of, you know, if you want something, just take it. If you want something, go get it now. If you it, it, just do it. And so sometimes when we find ourselves in a situation where God says, wait, our, our temptation can be to run forward because that's what the message that we're hearing all around us constantly is. Sometimes we look around and we reason that others have the thing that we want, or they're doing things in a particular way, so, so we're just going to take our lead from them and do the same thing as everybody else, regardless of what it is that God may have impressed upon our heart. Sometimes we're tempted to take matters into our own hands rather than wait on God, to pursue a shortcut instead of wait on Him, because in all honesty, we, we have a, a distorted or a wrong view of God. Perhaps we have this idea that, uh, uh, that God is, he, 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 he's dealing with the big stuff. He, he's dealing with kind of this, this stuff at sort of the, the, the world crisis level. And, 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 and he just kind of lets us get on with the day-to-day -day things. Or, or maybe we grew up hearing this, uh, th this idea of, well, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible anywhere, by the way. And so we have this distorted view, and it's kind of like, well, I'm just supposed to kind of do the thing. Or, or, or maybe we have an idea of what we want to do. We see the situation in front of us, and, and, and we just step, and we rush out into it, and we have this idea of the fact that, hey, I'm just supposed to do my own thing, and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just like baptize it in prayer. I'll just sprinkle a little prayer over the top of it. And it's like, oh Lord, I'm doing this anyway. Would you bless it? And so we run out into something and, and we figure to ourselves, oh, well, you know, I kind of said this little prayer. I said, oh God, would you bless me doing this? And we have this idea that, well, if God really didn't want us to do it, he would just, he would stop us. He would send something to stop it. And since he's not stopped it, then, then we should just keep on doing it. Sometimes we have a distorted view of God. Sometimes there's a situation in our life where, where somebody has hurt us, and they've, uh, they've caused tremendous pain. And even though we know that God says, vengeance is mine, 
It is mine to repay. Even though God says, leave it to me. We want justice and we want it now. That person hurt us and they must pay for it now. And so instead of waiting, we jump into the fray with flaring nostrils to make this right in our own estimation. Sometimes we simply want what we want and we refuse to accept anything else. God, if you're not going to give this to me now, I'm just going to take it. But at the root of all of this is fear. One of the great challenges we face when we find ourselves in the waiting room of God is it's fear. Fear of missing out. In fact, we even now have a little phrase for it. Is it FOMO? Is that what the fear of missing out? We think that if we're waiting, we must be missing out on something. Now, certainly it's true. There are some times in our life where we need to stop waiting. There are some of us, perhaps even here this morning, who you know precisely what God is calling you to do. He has said it before you, and he has said, get to it. And you're like, oh, well, I don't know. It's it's kind of scary. And so sometimes we use fear as an excuse for disobedience. That's where you find yourself this morning. Bring that to God. Confess that to him. Ask for his grace and his strength and get to it. But for many of us, for many of us, fear can lead us to try to take matters into our own hands, to pursue the shortcut instead of to wait on God. But true waiting on God is always the opposite of fear. Because waiting exhibits faith. It leans on God's promises. When we wait, we discover that it is the path of both courage and blessing. It's a hard thing to wait. But when God is the one who is telling us to wait, then it is always for a good purpose. And so... If you're a follower of Christ, remember that just as 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So we actually don't have the right as followers of Christ to take matters into our own hands because we have placed our life into his hands. And so the way of faith, uh, the way of pursuing Christ is to remember time and time again that we are living under the lordship, under the mastery, under the authority of Christ, that our life no longer belongs to us. It is not about us trying to take for ourselves or work for ourselves what we think we should do, but we are always to keep on coming back to him and saying, God, my my life is yours. And you have the right to say, wait or go or whatever you choose because you are my Lord. But what's more, 
not only when we grow weary of waiting on God is it easy for us to try to take matters into our own hands, but there are unintended consequences to taking matters into our own hands. And that's what we see in the rest of this chapter, because we read in, in, in verse 4, and he went, Abraham went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she, con- when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, may the Lord, uh, uh, um, Sarah said to Abraham, may, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servants to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lehai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham. There are unintended consequences that are far-reaching to Abraham and Sarai's actions. We see a strife take place as contempt and abuse take place between Sarai and Hagar. We see this relational breakdown, but more than that, we also see a marital strife that takes place. Now, I've got to be honest, I read this, and I'm kind of like, well, it was your idea in the first place, Sarai, and you're throwing Abraham under the bus. But there's all sorts of issues at play here. There is a strife in the marriage, a conflict now that has taken place. So not only is there this, this broken relationship, this fracturing, and even this abusiveness between it, Sarai and Hagar, there's, there, there's conflict now between uh, Sarai and Abram. Later on, we'll see in the book of Genesis that after Abram and Sarai have a son in fulfillment of God's promise, who they call Isaac, he will then be in conflict with Ishmael, and they will have this back and forth between them. 
And in fact, much of what we see on the world scene today roots itself back in at least a claim that is being made because here the, the statements which are being made about Ishmael, uh, those of Arab descent will claim Ishmael as their forefather through Abraham. They will actually suggest that they are the children of promise. And so through the generations, there has been a conflict between uh, uh, um, Arab peoples, and in particular within Islam, and Israelis, and they point it back to this very passage, to Genesis chapter 16, and Abraham and Sarai trying to help God out and taking matters into their own hands. And so there are always unintended consequences when we try to take matters into our own hands rather than waiting on God. You see, the same is also true when we try to take matters into our own hands and pursue a shortcut rather than waiting on God. There are all sorts of different consequences that we might experience and that we might face. There are a lot of people in this very community, maybe even some of us here in this church, who rather than wait on God, rather than slow and deliberate preparation and saving and plotting. We're like, I see this. I want it now. I'm going to get it. And now you are living under a weight of financial debt that every day feels unsustainable. You grew up in a beautiful house that your parents worked 20, 30 years to be able to afford and you get married And you think, well, that's the kind of house we need to have. So we're going to go and forget this whole starter house thing. It's dream house. And we're surrounded by people who are living under a weight of debt. Because they saw something and said, we're going for that. There are other times where we rush ahead in other areas. We rush ahead in uh, relational situations. I already referred to God's design for the sexual relationship as being within marriage. But we live in a world where pornography is so available. We live in a world where, where um, uh, multiple partners before marriage is the norm. And yet, because we didn't wait, because we took matters into our own hands, because we jumped into that, we find that, that we uh, have all sorts of relational baggage that we carry into other relationships. I want to be very careful with this because it is such a vulnerable area for many. But here we see Abraham and Sarai unable to conceive. It may be that there are some of us here who throughout our life have longed with a godly longing for children of our own and yet are unable to have them. And we've waited and we've waited and it's a real pain. And if that's where you are this morning, I grieve with you. But sometimes because we refuse to admit that maybe 
in his wisdom, God has something different for us. That we jump ahead into all sorts of different things. We listen to a doctor, and we can be thankful for doctors and for medical advancements, but just because doctors can do some things doesn't mean that they always should. And we live in a day where because of things like IVF treatment, that we have hundreds of thousands and perhaps more of abandoned, frozen babies. Because if the scriptures are right, and I believe they are, that life begins at conception, then because we rushed ahead, there are consequences to the decisions that we've made. I don't know where we are this morning, and the reality is there have been some places in my life where I've rushed ahead. I've tried to take shortcuts. And maybe you have in all sorts of different areas as well. I say this not to condemn or to heap shame, because as we'll see in just a moment, our gracious God will meet us even in that place where the consequences feel overwhelming. But know this, that God's waiting room is a good place. The first, if you like, an, uh, of the unintended consequences that is universal when we try to take matters into our own hands rather than waiting on God is that we miss out on the blessing of experiencing what God intends to give us in his waiting room. For it is in his waiting room that he performs much of his greatest work in our lives. There we learn dependence on him. There we learn submission to him. And there we learn joy and even contentment. It is in God's waiting room that much of the fruit of the Spirit ripens. So, know that when we find ourselves tempted to rush ahead and take a, a shortcut, that we need to be on guard against those unintended consequences, but that we can trust God that even in that time of waiting, He has a plan and purpose, and that is good. And I'm so thankful for this, and we see this replete in this passage, and that is that our God is gracious, and that He is kind, and that even in the consequences of our disobedience, He is present. And he is working. We see that God meets with Hagar in the wilderness and he promises to her a future. What we see here in this passage, it refers to the angel of the Lord. Uh, theologians will sometimes call this a Christophany or a Theophany. And it's actually referring to the pre-incarnate Christ who comes and meets with her. And he promises to her, you will have this son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God Years. And, and he comforts her with this promise. Now, the promise that he gives to her is not the same promise as was given to Abraham. 
The promise to Abraham will be fulfilled through the, the giving of a son through Sarai. Isaac, from whom uh, Jesus himself will trace his lineage. But she says, but God says, I will not abandon you. I see and I hear and I know and I will bless you and I will provide for you and I will protect you. He meets with her and encourages her so much so that she declares here, you are a God of seeing. And then she even names a well that you uh, saying this well is the God uh, or is the, the well of the God who sees and hears me. And so she comes to experience the grace of God in her own life. And the good news is that our God sees us too. Our, our God hears us as well. And that he delights to restore and to rescue and to bring joy and blessing as we humble ourselves before him. You know, it may be that some of us, in one area or another, have rushed ahead, have taken matters into our own hands, have chosen that shortcut rather than the place of waiting on God. if that's you this morning, please hear this. He has not deserted you. He's not deserted you. Sometimes the enemy loves to whisper into our ears those condemning ideas. Oh, well, you went ahead. You went a different way to what God was leading, so you're done. He's done with you. There is no way back. No. Wherever you are this morning, no matter how many times you may have rushed ahead, no matter how many times you say, God, I don't want to wait. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping forward. I'm doing this myself if you're not going to do it. He's not deserted you. He has not written you off. What you did did not take him by surprise. And he is at work. And he delights to restore. It may be that some of us here this morning are tasting some of those unintended consequences in our lives right now. And, and, and the pain from the decisions that we've made. And maybe we feel trapped. Maybe we feel hopeless. Maybe we feel unsure as to how to get back onto the right path. Know that the same God who heard and who saw that, that he hears and that he sees and that he grieves over our pain. But that you are not alone in it because he is with you. And know that Jesus Christ today stands ready to, to meet with you. To forgive you. To set you free from fear and from guilt and from shame of the past. And to restore you and to guide you and to accomplish his good purpose in you. 
all we need to do is to come before God again. And say, God, I have gone my own way. I have missed the mark. I have sinned against you. And I feel trapped. I don't know where to go from here, but I believe that you are not done with me yet. And so here I am. I want to come back onto your path. I want to follow where you lead. Would you teach me to do that? Would you forgive me? Would you restore me? And would you so work in my life that I would be a testimony to others of your restorative grace? You know what? God loves to do just that. He loves to do just that. Maybe you're here today and you are facing a difficult decision. You're facing a trial. You feel like you have been waiting on God to show up in this situation. And it seems like you've been waiting for a really long time. And you're feeling tempted to give up on the waiting, to take matters into your own hands, and just to do something. And maybe you just want to know, okay, so how do I keep waiting on God? How do I wait on Him? Well, we wait on God, first of all, in prayer. And oftentimes it is wise for us, especially if we are in a place of great uncertainty, a place where we, we simply don't know, we, we feel like we need to wait, but we don't know how to do that, to take some time not only for prayer, but to set aside some devoted time for prayer and fasting, to seek God earnestly and say, God, show me what I'm to do. Show me what you have for me. Give me the grace that I need for this. And if you were to have me wait, show me. Or if the problem is that... that You've already told me what to do, but I'm so focused on the thing that I want that, I, that, that, that I'm staying here in this waiting place where we've, you, you've said, go off over here. Show me that, God. We wait on God not only in prayer and fasting, we also wait on God in promise. We wait on Him by reminding ourselves of His Word. We talked about this a little bit last week, of, of filling our heart and mind with the promise of God. Because you see, when we are reminded of who God is and what He's like, that His ways are good, that His promise is sure, that His plans for us are, are for our good and, and our blessing and for His glory, then it gives us a renewed confidence and renewed strength to keep on waiting on Him, knowing that what He has planned is better than anything we could come up with. Oh, we, we can wait on God uh, when we when we are determined and deliberate in thanksgiving. You see, one of our great challenges when we're in the waiting room is that we can sometimes become so focused on that thing that we're waiting for that we forget that which He has already given us. That which He has already blessed us with. We, we want to see that. And yet we have all of this in front of us. As we give thanks to God, as we develop the discipline of thanksgiving in our life, we develop a greater contentment. And that greater contentment before God over what He has granted to us, it allows us to wait for what He has next or in store for us in the future because we are 
enjoying where he has us now. We should wait in preparation. We should recognize that the waiting room of God is a place of spiritual and of character equipping and of learning. It may be that you're in a place of waiting right now, and instead of just kind of sitting there, kind of tapping your foot, waiting, maybe this is a time where, like, God, I believe that you're calling me to this. I just don't know when you're going to lead me to that. Okay, study, prepare, do something now to get equipped so that you will be more prepared for when that day comes. We wait on God in submission. This is really hard. That's why we need to be doing these other things as well. When we're in the waiting room, there is a continual reminder that we have to give to our soul to say, God, you are God and I am not. God, you see all things and I don't. God, you are wise. You know how all of these parts fit together and you know the timing that is good and right. And I don't. And so, I submit to you. Finally, we wait on God by pursuing diligent action in the rest of our life. Sometimes when we're in that waiting room, we use it as an excuse for doing nothing. Well, God, I guess if I've got to wait, then I'm just going to sit around and complain about it until you're ready to lead me into that. No. Again, why does God put you in right now? Where are you? What relationships can you be investing in? What, what people can you be encouraging? What things can you be learning? What ministry can you be serving in? What can you be doing now to, in a sense, redeem the time now, even as you wait? And so, what's our part in this when we find ourselves in the waiting room? Seek God. Explore avenues. And through prayer, through wise counsel, through the study of his word. Pursue the path of wisdom when you have the peace of God. Though sometimes we may wrestle with impatience or consider taking matters into our own hands and chasing after that shortcut. Sometimes that may seem like it's the prudent path. But wait on God. Beware of shortcuts. Be encouraged by the words of Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. And wait for the Lord. Lord, you are the only wise God. There is no other like you. And this day, in the various circumstances and situations and struggles and joys that are reflected in this room and amongst those who are joining us online, we again acknowledge that you are God and that as we sang this morning, that you are good. That you are faithful. Yet, Lord, sometimes we find ourselves in that most difficult of places where you tell us to wait. Where you have granted a promise, and yet, Lord, like Abraham and Sarai, we 
We don't see the fulfillment of it and we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. Lord, I don't know where we each are this morning, but I pray that you would comfort and encourage each heart. That if there are any who are tempted to step out rather than wait any longer, that you would give them the grace that they need to keep on waiting on you to be strong and take heart as your word says. But I especially want to pray for those who may be here who in one place or another in their life have stepped out to to pursue a path that they thought might have been a good one. And yet, in doing so, they took matters into their own hands and they are experiencing the pain and the brokenness, the guilt, perhaps even the shame that has come from something that they have stepped into. I pray that you would meet with them just as you met with Hagar that you would minister to them, that you would encourage them, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would strengthen them, that they would call out to you in repentance where that is necessary and find healing and joy and restoration. We thank you that you are indeed a good and merciful God. Come to the aid of your people and teach us to find delight even in the waiting room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand one more time. Embody your own spirit and respond in worship to this word we've received this morning. words out together. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the Thank you. 
Thank you so much for worshiping here with us this morning. We pray now that you will go in faith and hope to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week in him. We will see you next Sunday.